It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Well, hey there. Welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, serving the Lake Country and beyond, based out of Greensboro, Georgia. Find us online at livingworth.com. Brian, great to be with you this week. What's going on in your world? Oh, it's spring break. We're uh, just doing a staycation this time, though. Gas prices have got us down. Inflation. Oh, man. That's not good to hear. You need to be going somewhere exciting. But sometimes staycations can be pretty cool, you know. Yeah, we, we've done more than we've needed to do in the past, so it was time to do a little catch-up. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, it, will you be getting out on the lake a little bit? Is it warm enough for that now? I don't know. We uh, we had a warm day, New Year's Day, and put, put the wave runner in, but uh, okay. I don't think it's going to get that warm this week. We'll see. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe... It's a little get, brisk out there this time of year, if you, if you get, especially if you get wet. Get a quick surprise warm day, and then maybe you can hop out there for a couple minutes. Just don't fall in. That's the key, right? Indeed, indeed. <laughs> that basically means don't let the daughters drive. A uh, couple of them are a little more conservative than others, but okay, there's, there's right. some crazy ones of us, so you I, never know. I'll just never forget um, my cousin, is, who is maybe like 90 pounds, dripping, dripping wet, um, she took over the, the reins of the wave runner with my mom and I, when we were out one year, this is several years ago, but, um, so she gets in the front and I'm like, all right, now what you're going to want to do. And she just looks back at me and goes, I know how to do it. And just goes vroom and just <laughs> flies immediately to top speed. And she's going over the waves and like starting to get airborne with me and my mom behind her. Like, She's levitating off the seat. On the, the wave seat. runner? On the you wave were on runner. the wave runner with her? Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. levitating off the seat. And I'm like pushing her. I'm holding her down. I'm like pushing her back down onto the seat. And she doesn't slow down when we start hitting the waves. And so she dumps my mom and I and just doesn't know that we're gone and just keeps on riding. And it's like oh, a wow. while before she realizes my mom and I are, you know, floating in the water trying to wait for her. her to back. boater safety training. <laughs> it was just awesome to see how fearless she was. So now I'm, I'm very hesitant to ever get on to a, uh, a wave runner with, you know, a small woman because I think they're fearless and we'll just go crazy. <laughs> and, and my youngest daughter is fearless. And, but that actually works out well because we go out and ski behind the wave runner. Yep. And all the other, the other two girls are scared to pull me because they're, you know, get it right or whatever. But my youngest man, she'll give it the gas and go. And nice. She, she it, won't, it's interesting she to see how the different personalities fall are. In, right? that's, that's her hope. That's too good. I love it. Well, uh, it sounds like you guys will have a good staycation in store, but uh, work to be done before then, Brian. And so we kick off a three-part series here on Make the Dough Rise, the Bermuda Triangle of Retirement. I love it. I can't wait to dive into uh, these different topics. I'm glad that we have broken this apart into uh, a three-part series. Can we give a behind-the-scenes look here, Brian, in the fact that we actually recorded today's episode before, but we scrapped well, it. We threw yeah, it. I was going to say game. we tried to record today's right. episode before because, we, and and just to give everybody context here, we're talking about inflation, rising interest rates, and the threat of a recession. So that's our Bermuda Triangle. We've got three points, three factors influencing economic data, the markets, consumer behavior, and all the things that are related to this topic. And so I wanted to. This is kind of a timely topic because all of these things are hitting now as we're coming off of COVID. We've done all this stimulus. We've rescued the economy and, and, and seem to be coming out the other side. But we have these lingering and persistent problems that really make a 
a fairly dangerous, potentially dangerous intersection for investors, for retirees, and and then you know what what do you do to respond to these factors? So that we tried to take that on last time, and we tried to do all three. Decided that maybe we better break these down, do them one at a time, and and do it you know with justice. Thus begins our part one of this three part series, and so inflation will be our main focus today. And Brian, it's uh, certainly something that's in the news pretty widely at this point, right? Yeah, especially when you get it at the gas pumps and the grocery store and. You know, I know four or five dollar a gallon gas and ten dollar a pound hamburger. Those those things people notice. And and uh, granted, food and energy tend to be the most volatile items of the consumer price index. But um, you know, definitely something that's going to impact a lot of people. So you you want to be mindful of it. All right. So Bermuda Triangle we know is where you know planes and boats and you know vessels go to disappear, or at least weird things happen to them. That's sort of like yeah. best case scenario is just something right. weird happened to you. Worst case, you just disappear and never never come back. We don't want that to happen to our portfolios, right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, predictions are difficult. We, we've had, you know, we, we could pull out endless examples of, of people missing predictions, you know, predictions being way off that for, for years. You know, I think we've defied expectations in that we have not had a tremendous amount of inflation. And I was young in the late 70s, early 80s. And, and I, I remember what a big deal high inflation was and, and how bad that was for the economy. And it was, it was really an unpleasant time. And, and I was insulated from it because I was still in high school. But um, you know, I remember the problems people were having, uh, people on fixed incomes trying to keep up. You know, their purchasing power was eroding. So it's definitely something you want to you know, make sure you, you address. But at the same time, it's such a complex, interconnected you know, bunch of forces in, influencing and impacting this. Uh, so it, it, it becomes difficult to know how to respond. And so my first response to people really is that we don't invest for short-term trends. We're not trading. We're not trying to you know, pick up on what's going to happen today, tomorrow, next week you know, this month or really even this, this next year or two, you're trying to build long-term resilient portfolios that, that will stand up over time, benefit from prosperity, protect you from inflation. You know, it's, it's really kind of a, a holy grail set of, uh, of, of factors, but you definitely want to address it. All right. So let's dive in a little bit then. Um, in, inflation. Uh, why is this a big part of this Bermuda Triangle of retirement? And uh, kind of what do we need to know to get started? Uh, how do we start wrapping our minds around something like inflation and, and getting a hold of it from our you know personal investing in portfolio perspective? Yeah, well, let's just do a quick recap or a review of inflation and what it is, why it happens. And I'm going to go with an incredibly oversimplified model here and assume that we had a totally closed system. Okay. okay. So in this bubble, let's say there is $10 worth of money and there are 10 items to be purchased. All things being equal, you know, the purchasing power of each uh, person in the system is $1 per item and, and so you get an equilibrium of $1 for every item in our very simplified, very closed system. One of two things can happen. You could inject more money into this system. So let's take that up to $15. But there's only 10 items to buy. So people who now have $1.50 instead of $1, you're going to get a new equilibrium where prices will come up 
to match the dollars in the system. There's just nowhere else for those dollars to go. The other thing that could happen is you could have a reduction of materials, goods, services in the system, and uh, that would cause inflation too. So if you had a, sh- a supply shortage of goods and services, if you increase the money in the system by 50%, you're going to get you know, 50% inflation because there's nothing else to buy. This same phenomenon, uh, you, you could argue in the short run applies to the stock market. There are X number of shares in companies trading on the stock exchange. If somebody comes in and buys, you know, with new money, new newly printed money with trillions of dollars to make purchases in the stock market, same thing in the short run, if there's no increase in profitability, no increase in, in output, the prices are going to go up because there's just that many more dollars to buy. So th- this can happen in the goods and services market. It can happen in the, the stock market where a sudden rush or an infusion of cash or a shortage of material supplies and, and goods and services in the system will cause inflation. Pretty simple. Makes sense. But unfortunately, life isn't that simple, right? No, we're not in that closed, not in that closed system. No, no, we're not in a closed system at all. And, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But let, let me look at what happened during COVID. Okay, so we, we locked down, we shut down. Uh, a lot of people were out of work, trying to work remotely. Productivity went down. And we, we had a very, very short recession uh, during COVID. But this, this supply shock, produces fewer goods and and services. At the same time, we injected 35% more dollars into the system. We went from $15 trillion of of money supply to 22 trillion in two years. So imagine you've just had a 35% increase in the money supply in a couple of years, while also having a supply shock or shortage of production and output. The surprise isn't that we have inflation. The surprise is that it took so long. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Because it seems like for the last couple of years of doing this show with you, Brian, we we would talk about inflation, but it wasn't something that was really that present. And then here it comes roaring its head, kind of catching up and into our psyche. It's something you always had your eye on, but it's kind of come out of nowhere, maybe for the consumer who hasn't been paying attention. Yeah, well, and, and if you go back and listen to our uh, conversations about modern monetary theory, uh, all the stimulus, and we, of course, I've been warning about how much uh, debt we're, we've we've crossed the thirty trillion dollar debt mark for the federal government. Uh, debt to GDP is one hundred and twenty five percent. So the the national debt is one hundred and twenty five percent of our annual gross domestic product. That's higher than it got during World War II. And we're not in, at a world in a world war. Yeah, and I say that we, we we might have to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we may have everything that's going on. Let's put in a disclaimer here in this podcast. This has been right. taped before any you know further development in the Ukraine uh, Russia situation. Yeah, we may have to come back and edit this in a couple yeah. of days, but we'll see. But it, anyway, what, once you get this mindset that you can print an unlimited amount of money, which was the dream of the modern monetary theory acolytes. You know, it, it's easy to get that going. Hey, we'll inject more money. We'll pump a trillion here. Well, every you can be like Oprah. You get a thousand. You get a thousand. You get a. Th- and when you do that enough, you're you're just pumping a tremendous amount of money into the the system. And the danger is, is once this starts, you know, it, it's very easy and, and generous for politicians to you know send out and give money. 
but it becomes politically unpopular to raise taxes, claw that money back, stop handing out all the uh, you know stimulus checks and, and the things that make people more inclined to, to vote for you. So um, it'll what will be a challenge in this is can we find a way to stop the loose money, quit injecting uh, you know trillions and trillions of dollars into the system, and, and actually rein this in before it becomes a, a bigger problem. And then you add on top of that, you know, think of all the people we've seen resign, retire early. Uh, you know, the unemployment rate is is fantastically low, but the labor force participation rate is also low. So we've got this mass resignation that you've got fewer people producing, working, uh, and making stuff. It's it's going to be this could be a tricky uh, thing to see unwind. Now, can I mean, not all inflation is bad, right? Like it doesn't all have to be on the the negative side of things. Yeah. So, so inflation is interesting because we can look at the the data here in a minute, but psychologically, what it does to consumers, investors, uh, it changes the metric for you know whether you should spend, save, invest. It really changes the dynamic between all of these variables. And for the longest time, we have had what I would call Goldilocks inflation. We had a little bit of inflation, and it was pretty steady and, and predictable. There were a couple of times where we actually flirted with deflation, and uh, you know, de- deflation can be equally devastating because if you have an inflationary environment, you're, you're basically telling people hoarding cash isn't going to do you any good. You, you need to get out there and, and spend that money or invest that money because in the future, you're going to be able to buy less with it. Now, deflation does just the opposite. If you think the dollars you're holding will be worth more in the future because prices are going down, that causes people to stop spending. Well, now both of those, you know, you've got one, 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 one action on one side, and one on the other. And if inflation gets too high, it actually accelerates the amount of spending that people do. Because if you know your dollars are depreciating at you know, one, two, three percent, you know, maybe you can live with that for a few years. If they're starting to depreciate by six, seven, eight, nine, you know, ten percent in a year, you might want to hurry up and make some purchases if you're going to be spending that money. Because if you wait a few years, you're looking at buying, you know, significantly less. And, and just, just for uh, a historical perspective, Walter, uh, if you looked at the decline in purchasing power of a dollar over the last 80 years, about every 40 years, we lose 75% of the purchasing power of a dollar. So wow. $400 in the, what, maybe 40s, 50s, uh, up into the 80s, we saw $400 compressed down to $100 worth of purchasing power. And then from 1980 to present, we're, we're down to about a quarter of that. Well, this is significant. If you're talking about a 20 or 30 year retirement window, which a lot of people are, that was not the case in the past. That is so now. You're looking at a potential doubling over your retirement lifetime of the consumer price index. So you have to have a strategy in place that allows you to increase your purchasing power uh, over that time. Wow, that's uh, pretty interesting to look at some of that. I guess putting that in perspective, 75% 
loss of purchasing power um, kind of really kind of drives it home when you start thinking about the fact that you might be retired for 20, 30, or some folks even 40 Maybe years. Maybe 40, yeah. yeah. Or, or more, uh, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Who knows, people retiring today, just how long they're going to end up being in retirement. Going to be a really long time. And I go back to the idea that you said, you know, in the example to start things out, the closed system, things that we can control, things that are easy to see, okay, if this goes up, this goes down, but we live in a much more complex world, and that's just also what makes this all so hard to predict. Yeah, so the interesting thing that happened, if you, if you go back and look at monetary policy, interest rates, what we're doing to stimulate or slow down the economy, I would say probably you know, middle to end of last century, we were a much more closed system. And so it was easier to inject money, withdraw money, and you could control inflation in this closed system much easier. Well, today, because of globalization, because of technology, because of uh, you know, wide open free trade, we have a very open system, but that creates a lot more variables. So it's basically like trying to pump, imagine trying to blow up a balloon that had little tiny holes in it. You're blowing, you're blowing, you're, you're trying to get this thing blown up or, or let some air out. But meanwhile, air is seeping out these holes. Well, that's, that's what you basically have with globalization, global economies, and central banks of all these different whether it's the European Union, Japan, China, the United States, all the big economies are trying to conduct monetary policy at the same time. So we may be trying to stimulate while somebody else on the globe is trying to slow down or, or decrease money supply. And so what you think you're doing to your domestic economy is now bleeding out into the whole world. And so what we, and really what we've seen the last, you know, 10, 15 years, really since the financial crisis, has been stimulus. We've been pumping money in, pumping money in. European Central Bank's been doing this. Japan's been doing this. The United States has been doing this. Um, and, and, and initially, it, it's interesting to watch because that seems to be our go-to solution for every problem now is just inject money, pour money into the system, patch it over, get past it. And then, the again, the hope would be that you would recover some of of you know, the stimulus that you've done and and pull some money back out in good times. And again, that that doesn't happen. But if the U.S. is doing stimulus, European Central Bank's doing stimulus, Japan's doing stimulus, man, you've got money pouring in all over the world. Well, that eventually, maybe it takes longer, but uh, it it seems to be uh, creating uh, inflation. As far as a way to solve a problem, the, the stimulus, the patch it up seems to work. Uh, because Europe tried austerity initially during the financial crisis. We're going to hunker down. We're going to you know, pay this off and, and try and be responsible about it. Well, it turns out during a crisis, that's not the time to, to, to try and be responsible. You, you need the government to step in. You need the big banks to step in and, and provide liquidity. But if every time there's a problem, that's your strategy, and then you don't do something to, to rein it in in the good times, and like I said, I said earlier, that becomes hard to do. We're just starting to see inflation, you know, potentially around the globe now. And it doesn't really just stop there. Speaking of things that kind of take the globe by storm and uh, sort of changing right before our eyes, we then have this whole element of, you know, energy 
conversations that I know adds another level of interest to all of this and the the right direction to head in there, different levers getting pulled, especially in the dynamic of, uh, you know, Russia and the Ukraine and how energy has become a big part of that conversation and sanctions. You know, we could probably do a whole Mm -hmm. episode just on that topic, but that kind of plays into this whole inflation conversation, too, I would think. Yeah. And like I said, the energy and food are the most volatile components of the consumer price index, but energy will tend to have an impact on on the entire supply chain because you've you've got production and and transportation and moving stuff around. And and if we've doubled or more than doubled the cost of energy, every time that's happened in the past, it results in a recession. Well, if we get a recession, this is what's going to be, and we're going to save this topic. I'm just going to touch on it for right now. But if, if you get to recession, sometimes the tools that you need to suppress inflation is the opposite of what you need to get out of a recession. So that, that's where this Bermuda Triangle is going to get very interesting. But, you know, if you, if you look at what's happening with Ukraine, Russia, energy, well, then also you've got to factor in, we've, we've got a bit of a green dream in, in policy in this, in this country lately because this Keystone Pipeline, they claim to be issuing uh, drilling permits and, and things like that. But, but the reality is, is they're actually holding those projects up you know, they, it, it's not like, hey, here's your permit. You can go drill on federal land to have at it. You've got to go through environmental uh, studies. You've got to get permits to put roads in and things like that. So even though they've been issuing permits on paper, it looks like they've, they've, they've done this. The, these projects aren't actually uh, going into, into production. Well, then, you know, you, you look at rising energy prices. And uh, again, that's inflationary. But... Is it going to cause a recession that's going to then slow down the, the economy and, and, and potentially solve this? I, I don't have the answer, but it's, um, I just, I'm not seeing things from a policy perspective that's going to ease the, the energy costs anytime soon. Great points all around, Brian. So what to do with this inflation impact, this first arm of the Bermuda Triangle of retirement planning um, you know, where, where do we go from here as investors, savers? Do we take action? Do we sit and wait and watch and, and ponder? What do we do? Yeah, buy, sell, hold. It's a, it's a, it's a great question. But, uh, and, and as I said earlier, you, you want to definitely want to build a portfolio and a income plan, cash flow projections, you know, that, that allow you to weather tough times. But if you look at it in regard to inflation, Okay, and then you know, past data is is a place to look. It's not a hundred percent predictive, but if you went back and, and looked at historical historical results, when you had let's call it two to four percent inflation, domestic and global equity markets would have been up five to fifteen percent a year when we're in that stable Goldilocks in, uh, level of, of inflation. So let's look at what happens either side of that. If inflation gets down, oh, let's say in the, you know, below or in the one to 2% range, equities would go up, you know, maybe two to, to, to 4%. So much lower returns in a lower, a very low inflation environment. And if you actually got to a deflationary environment or, or no inflation, global equities were actually down six to 7% in a, in a super low inflation or a deflationary environment. It's kind of bizarre. I don't think people would always predict that. 
Go to the other end of the spectrum. And when you had four to 5% inflation, well, global equities and domestic equities averaged about 10 to 11%. Still good. That's great. And if you get above 5% inflation, equities still delivered a low single digit, maybe 4 to 5% rates of return. So I say that to say that um, inflation isn't necessarily devastating to a portfolio in and of itself. It's actually more devastating to your purchasing power. And, and that's going to cause people to want to invest again and find a way to keep up with inflation. Now, can there be some short-term pullbacks in the market because of you know, bad data, bad trends? Absolutely. But the problem is, is you, you don't want to sell and liquidate everything trying to time the market. You're going to trigger capital gains. You're going to give up your dividends that you needed to survive on. Uh, and you know, th- this assumes then that if you, you sell at the top, are you going to make another equally brilliant decision and, and know when to get back into the market on the other side of that? History shows investors are terrible at doing this. They, they get out at the wrong time. The market goes back up. They wish they could get back in, but they feel like they've missed it. So they end up doing nothing. And I talked to so many people during COVID that you know, by, by the end of 2020, you know, the markets were, were, were largely recovering and are recovered. But all these people are like, oh, yeah, you know, COVID, I, I thought that was going to be bad. I sold and went all the cash. I said, oh, that was brilliant. I said, when did you get back in? Oh, I haven't gotten back in yet. Well, now the market's higher than where they sold it. And they matched one good decision with one bad decision. And, and they missed out on all the power of, of, of this transactional uh, approach. So, so really, I just tell everybody the same. My strategy doesn't change dramatically. We're still going to focus on quality, maybe a little more emphasis on value stocks. And value stocks can actually do well in this environment because they pay good dividends. Their earnings are in the present. And, and they pay those earnings out in, in dividends. So, so we've actually seen value stocks hold up very well and you know probably could continue to do well uh, in this environment. Growth stocks will be hit the hardest in an inflationary environment. A growth stock is one where the company's gearing up, they're, they're reinvesting uh, any profits they have for, for future growth. And so the profits and the dividends that the investor is going to receive, those are all in the future. Well, which is more do- valuable, a dollar today or a dollar in the future? Doesn't take a PhD in, in economics to know that a dollar today is better than a dollar, a potential dollar in the future. Well, if you've got high inflation, those future dollars are going to be worth far less. And so you now have to discount the value of those based on this higher inflation rate. And that's, that's part of the reason why we've seen technology stocks, growth stocks uh, really get beat up recently. Now, long-term, you know, a good growth stock, a good uh, growing company is, is still going to be good. They're probably going to be able to adjust pricing. But again, in the short term, you'll see, you'll, you'll see the volatility and the fluctuations. But it's, um, you know, it, it, it's something, definitely something to watch out for, but not a reason to run and hide, bury your money in the backyard in mason jars. Uh, you don't want to go all to gold. There's, there's pros and cons of all that. And, and actually, let me, let me talk about that for just a second, because you know, people will say, Gold, precious metals, uh, th- those act as a good inflation hedge. Well, you have to have a lot of inflation for those to become good investments. 
to me, gold is, you know, if you want it a little bit for a small part of your portfolio or you want to put some of them in your guns, gold and ammo collection, then, then fine. But to, to make it a major or significant part of your portfolio, it might do well, but if it doesn't, it's probably going to do very bad, poorly. It doesn't pay a dividend. It's not likely to appreciate in value for any other factor than inflation. So again, you have to look at what can be a growing asset that has pricing power to adjust to an inflationary environment and just put that good, good quality type stuff in your portfolio. And, and let, let's hope that this is going to be a transitory thing. Fingers crossed on that front, Brian, for sure. And uh, lots to kind of track and, and keep uh, keep our eyes on. Um, by the way, uh, can you give us a little bit of a uh, preview of the other two elements of this three-part series? So inflation was today. As we turn the page on the next two episodes, we've got rising interest rates and then the threat of recession. And, and so I'm looking forward to seeing these build off of one another. Yes. Well, again, like I said earlier, the the things that you do to combat inflation, well, interest rates are a big tool uh, that they can use to raise the cost of borrowing, increase the uh, amount that savers are earning. That will change the the dynamic of how people use their dollars, what they spend, what they invest in. And, And so then ultimately that will determine, you know, do we have economic growth and continued prosperity or do we get a, a recession where we get a couple of quarters of uh, going backwards? I, I think that's, you know, all of those are interesting because they interplay off of one another so that if one is bad, it can, you know, it, it's again, that Bermuda Triangle that we talked about, there's, there's no easy answers to how this is all going to, and, and you can't, you can't control all this stuff. You, you can attempt to control of it. But there, there's so many players involved, and um, ultimately, if people are using their extra dollars to innovate, invest, come up with new solutions, become more productive, you know that that can solve a lot of this, and that, that's what we've seen in the past. So I'm I'm optimistic. I, I've talked about all of the, the trends and technology and breakthrough that's coming through. Uh, I, I think the future is going to be uh, very interesting and fantastic, but there. That you need to be positioned to take advantage of it, and uh, I, I don't think that uh, you know we're, we're going to be devastated by all this. We, we've gone forty years without high inflation. Hopefully, this was COVID and stimulus-induced. Supply chain obviously has contributed to it, but uh, I, I don't think it's anything we can't work out of. Well, very good, Brian. Appreciate your guidance and help as we discuss inflation today. Uh, You can see that there's a lot of moving parts that go into this. If you want to do it right, you really can't just DIY all of this. Brian can certainly help walk you through managing these different things, that that short-term versus the long-term payoffs and evaluating when it's best to move toward the short-term, when it's best to make those decisions for the long-term if you want to talk those kinds of things out in the context of your larger financial and retirement plan as well, give a call today to Brian for a free 15-minute introductory call and see how you can get some clarity around your financial goals that you have so that you can live the lifestyle that you want. Again, that's a free 15-minute introductory call. And you can schedule that by going to livingworth.com and clicking on the button that says book a call, or you can dial 706-451-9800. That's 706-451-9800, or again, click book a call on livingworth.com. Brian, thank you for the guidance through today's episode. Enjoyed this one, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting rising interest rates with you next time around. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. 
Right. That's Brian Doe and Walter Storholt. We'll see everybody next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.